This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here, and welcome to this week's Ingles on the Beat show. And as always, we're going to have a special guest the second half of the show, John Clay, columnist from the Lexington Herald, leader, longtime friend, uh, certainly one of the most respected and highly regarded journalists in the country, a guy that's been covering SEC football for 36 years. He's going to tell you where he has Georgia in his AP Top 25 vote. He's going to tell you why Kentucky is confident this year as they come into Sanford Stadium for a 7 p.m. night game under the lights. This is what everybody wanted. The Bulldogs are going to have a showdown atop the SEC East against an undefeated Kentucky team. Believe it or not, Kentucky has started the last three out of six years undefeated. And we've seen a couple of these uh, Georgia-Kentucky games end up being the de facto SEC East championship. That's not supposed to happen, right? That's supposed to be Florida or Tennessee, but really it's been Kentucky under Mark Stoops. And, you know, it's a team that's built very similar to Georgia in terms of the physicality, the ability to run the ball, the balance, uh, the emphasis on not beating yourself. I think Mark Stoops has done a very good job and yet still has yet to win an SEC East division and 0-10 against the Georgia Bulldogs. We talked earlier today to Kirby Smart about Georgia and the run defense, and he said, you know what? He felt better after watching the film. He, he was pretty despondent. I think, uh, I think a lot of fans even noticed that, that, that Kirby seemed a little down after that game. He takes that personal. And, you know, the fact that Auburn was able to run for over 200 yards, that was 65 straight games that the Bulldogs had held opponents under 200 yards rushing. They had to go all the way back to the loss to LSU and Joe Burrow in 2018 in Baton Rouge. Talk about time flying. That was 65 games ago, almost five years since we saw Georgia give up 200 yards. And you can say 61 of it came on one play, but that's the way it works. Uh, And and what about that play? And what about the other quarterback runs? And can Devin Leary run the ball? Can Kentucky present some of the same RPO issues? And how much can Georgia get corrected in one week? How much better can the defensive line get? I come from the school of thought that you got what you got on the D-line. And I do think that Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp can do some things to generate pass rush. You saw three quarterback sacks against Auburn. That was quite an improvement. Georgia only had four through the first four games. So when Georgia wants to bring it, they can. Uh, Obviously, they don't want to show any more than they needed to in those first four games from a a pressure package standpoint. They did bring it out for Auburn. They needed it. They needed to change the momentum more than once. They were down 10 to zero. They rallied. Very impressive. Um, And, you know, then they had to stop at the 12-yard line, third and one. You see Smile Munden with his game high, 11 tackles. He makes the stop, fourth and one. It's JDJ filling that gap off there, a high snap, and turning away Hugh Freeze after Freeze gambled at the Georgia 12-yard line. About a minute, minute and a half, two minutes left in the first half. That was a really big play. I don't think enough attention has gone to the Georgia defensive stand there. Um, Albeit they did give up over 200 yards rushing, and we did see Auburn take the lead again in the third quarter after the Oscar Delt fumble. And, and what can you say about that? It's going to happen. Brock Bowers was there. He said, what do you tell a guy like Oscar Delt after a fumble like that? And Brock said, it happens to the best of us. Um, you can't stay down. It's not the Georgia way. And they didn't. And, and Kirby was impressed because not only did his team come back from 10-0 on the road, 
But then they lost the momentum again in the second half, and they came back again after falling behind 17 to 10. So there's a lot to be said. Uh, you know, words like resiliency, uh, endurance, toughness, these are, words, these are overused words. But I feel like Georgia has shown you that, even though it's clearly not the team that it was last year, and it was never going to be. It, it didn't matter if it was Todd Munkin or Bill Walsh calling plays. You know, Stetson Bennett said it best at the championship celebration. He said, it's not the X's and the O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And the fact of the matter is there has been some drop-off um, at the skill positions. Now, the quarterback position is debatable. I thought Stetson's ability to extend plays and certainly his knack for making plays in the clutch. Um, we haven't really seen Carson back tested in that way. But Carson does lack the ability to extend plays like Stetson did. I do think Carson is more consistent uh, and accurate with the ball um, on a regular basis. Now, all that said, who who would you take? I mean, it's an apples and oranges uh, discussion. I think the fact that Stetson is a, a two-time champion, certainly you give him the edge. But if you just put him in a room and you're evaluating him and you take away all their credentials and you measure them up against one another, well, there's a reason why Todd Munkin had Carson Beck ahead of Stetson on the depth chart at one point in 2021. It just turned out that Stetson's moxie was enough to – uh, surpass uh, a younger version of Carson Beck. Now that younger version of Carson Beck is now five games in. He's come from double digits down twice already in his career. Pretty impressive. Um, not impressive that they got down double digits, but impressive that they came back from double digits. And we're seeing Ra Ra Thomas and, and Dominic Lovett, the two transfers, they look like they're getting a little bit more in the flow. We saw Ra Ra have two third down conversion catches. That was really big especially the one down there at the five-yard line. He had to turn around and look early. Beck was under pressure and took a shot. That was a big throw for Carson Beck. He had had a throw earlier this year where there was pressure, and he went off his back foot and didn't take the hit. It was incomplete. And that was, that was bad. That was a step back. This time he hung in the pocket. He took the hit. He delivered the ball on time. Big step forward. Those are the kinds of things that earn a lot of respect from your teammates and your coaches. So I thought this was a big step forward for Carson Beck. Um, Lad McConkey's return, you cannot underscore that enough. Three third down catches for Lad McConkey, even though his snaps were limited, he really made him count. I mean, Lad McConkey makes a difference, folks. He is the best perimeter receiver on the Georgia football team. He is their uh, Christian McCaffrey in the open field. And while Lad's back has been bad, he is so dangerous. Teams have to give him a cushion because they know that he can absolutely take the top off. We are going to monitor his health all week. Kirby was kind of mum on that. He was asked today, how's Lad doing? said he doesn't know yet. Remember, Lad went to a specialist. Uh, this was a disc issue. This wasn't uh, anything that's going to require surgery. This is a very common injury in the NFL, um, but it's a very painful ailment, and sometimes it requires uh, a, a lengthy rest period, and that's what Lad had. He had a couple weeks where he didn't practice, then he worked his way back up in practice last week. He was able to play in the game, a lot of third down package for Lad. We'll see where he's at this week. The big thing is you don't want to lose a guy like that for the season. You know, you can make the argument maybe you need Lad McConkie to win a national championship. Um, one guy you definitely need to win a national title is Brock Bowers. And, and I would say that Georgia probably wouldn't have both national titles if not for Brock Bowers. He's that pivotal a player. Uh, Mark Stoops compares him a lot to Gronk. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, a guy that he was familiar with at Arizona, uh, I think Brock is his own guy. I think he's into his own throwback legend kind of player. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think 
10, 20, 30 years from now, when you point back to this era of Georgia football, I think we're going to talk about Brock Bowers, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter. These are the guys to me that are going to stand the test of time as difference making players. Um, we'll find out more uh, about Javon Bullard, a guy who also came back from injury. 10 tackles, it was big because you saw that the replacements hadn't been holding up their end of the bargain. Georgia is a very different team with Javon Bullard back there. I think he's key, particularly in a game like this. I think Georgia's ability to come up and run support out of that secondary is going to mean a lot. Ray Davis, very talented running back, went for 280 yards on the Florida defense that thought they were good at run defense. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he was at Vanderbilt before, and he went into the portal and uh, ended up at Kentucky. I know Chip Towers, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, asked Kirby about Ray Davis. And, you know, as much as we see Georgia's backfield in as thin as they are, could Georgia have maybe taken a look? And, and Kirby, Kirby's memory on that was kind of fuzzy. So maybe not. Um, it, it strikes me as a little odd, um, but you never know. I mean, Georgia kind of has preconceived notions of players they've recruited before that they already have relationships with. And they have a lot of confidence in the players that are in their receiving room, and, or excuse me, in their running backs room. And I don't think we would be having this discussion uh, if, uh, you know, if uh, Branson Robinson hadn't gotten injured earlier this year. Maybe, you know, this, this talk doesn't even happen. So uh, maybe it was debatable that they needed a running back out of the portal. I kind of thought they did, even coming out of spring. But, you know, they had a lot of confidence in Branson and, and Roderick Robinson and now both of those young men injured. And I think they also thought Andrew Paul would be back and, He's not quite back yet. Um, it's to the point you've got Dylan Bell, the converted receiver back there, making plays, explosive plays. And then on a third and two, we saw Brock Bowers carry the football. So they had to use Brock Bowers as a fullback. So that backfield is very thin. I tell people this, and, and I've seen there's been a lot of conjecture and opinion um, since this last game about, oh, my gosh, you know, Georgia. And, and it, you know, it's the coordinator. It's the quarterback. It's this. It's that. Listen, this is a different team than last year. I don't know how many times it needs to be said. Kirby Smart has said several times over, this is a different team. This is a team that has to get better. This is a team that's not what last year's was. Kirby told you. They don't have trained wreckers and havoc makers on the interior defensive line. I mean, Jalen Carter's not coming out of that tunnel. Neither is Jordan Davis or Devontae White or Nolan Smith. And the guys that are replacing them, they're not as good. They're just not as good. It's not to say they're not good not to say that they're not capable it's not to say that this is still one of the best defensive lines in the country but it's not what it was what it was was special and to just assume somebody's just going to step into those shoes at every position that's just not realistic that just doesn't happen anywhere uh, oscar delps coming along he's not darn in a washington he's never going to be unless he grows into six seven and a half and 280 pounds and that's not probably not going to happen okay uh, there is no Kenny McIntosh in the backfield. Easily the most underappreciated, undervalued guy in the league last year. This guy went over a thousand yards and didn't drop a pass his whole career. You know, but I, you know, we were all too busy, you know, telling the walk-on story to pay attention and say, "Wow, they got some really good supporting cast around these guys." So you didn't see that special on Kenny. You didn't see enough made out of Darnell. Maybe a Donnie Mitchell didn't get enough attention, right? And, and Lad, thank goodness, is finally getting attention. It wasn't about those guys last year, even though it probably should have been. And now you're finding out what was missing because the guys that are trying to fill those shoes, they haven't been able to do it yet. They're getting better week to week. The schedule was a godsend. Um, but 
Georgia also needed a wake-up call. And if Auburn didn't deliver it, I don't know what will. Because Auburn kicked the tar out of them, you know, physically in the trenches. They won at the line of scrimmage. It's been a long time since we've said another team has won at the line of scrimmage. You can make an argument that Ohio State might have had an advantage or held their own, but it just doesn't happen too often. Now, is it a matter of effort? I know Tate Ratledge told us earlier today he thinks it's all mental for the offensive line. I think the offensive line has been adequate. I don't think they've cost you any gains. I don't think that they've performed like the best O-line in the country either. I think there's room for growth. Is you know They get into sync. They had to replace some players too. They lost the first round left tackle in Broderick Jones. I mean, uh, and Ernest Green the third is just now getting his feet wet as a starter. It's going to take some time. So this is a litmus test, though. Kentucky is going to be physical. They're going to try to knock Georgia off the ball. Georgia doesn't have any excuses. There shouldn't be any element of surprise. They've got the home field crowd on their side. They've performed well in these situations. Kentucky can run the ball, but their quarterback can't run the ball. And I guess my thought is sometimes Kirby's defenses um, have been a little susceptible to running quarterbacks, whether we're talking about at Georgia or at Alabama. I don't think that's the kind of run game that Kentucky brings. I think it's more conventional. And I think Georgia can stop this. My question is, what does the Georgia offense do? Can Georgia establish the run? Can they get into the play-action game? And I've got zero problems with Carson Beck. I want to be clear on that. I think he's performed fine. My question is, do you have a good enough supporting cast to play this style of quarterback, the distributor? Or do you need the runner? Because the runner's like bringing an extra guy out there. Remember the JT Daniels, Stetson Bennett discussion was as much about the injuries to the wide receivers as it was to the quarterbacks because they didn't have a lot of wide receivers healthy. Kirby Smart said it's hard to go four wide when you've only got six healthy receivers on the whole team, right? And, and this year's receiving core has been kind of banged up. And how explosive are they? Could there be a package eventually for Brock Vandegrift? You see how he's able to run the ball and throw it. How does that evolve, right? So Georgia has answers. Georgia's got some weapons, some tools in the toolbox offensively and defensively. This is a team that's going to grow and evolve as the season progresses. And as long as they're winning, it doesn't really matter. But make no mistake about it, this big blue Kentucky team is a threat. And they're coming here confident. And they're coming here with momentum because they absolutely rolled Florida. I mean, there was, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about that game. That was one of the most dominant Kentucky wins. And it's the first time uh, going back from 1948 to 51 when Paul Bear Bryant was head coaching Kentucky, that Kentucky has beaten Florida three times in a row. And can you believe this stat now? Florida has lost eight consecutive SEC East Division games outside of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. You got to go back to 2020, the last time that Florida won on the road against an SEC East team. All right, it's just Billy Napier could be in big trouble. We're going to find out what happens to the Florida Gators. And South Carolina-Tennessee game, very interesting. Big win for Tennessee. Tennessee fans were really letting Spencer Rattler have it. And Rattler said after the game, hey, uh, if you don't got haters, you're not popping. He said it was like Tennessee's Super Bowl. Props to them. So I, I'm <laughs> Tennessee won the game, but I think Rattler might have won the war of words there. And to put it into perspective, South Carolina cost Tennessee a college football playoff spot last year. They knocked Tennessee out of the playoffs, essentially. And they knocked Clemson out of the playoffs. South Carolina is kind of – it's an interesting team. And we'll see what happens when they play Florida. That's going to be a very interesting game this year. Another big game to watch this weekend, Alabama goes to Texas A&M. 
The Tide opened as a four-point favorite. Check that game out. Keep one eye on that 3.30 CBS game while you're tailgating or turn it on the radio while you're driving to the game. That's going to be a very important game in the West. If AM wins, it brings Old Miss potentially back into the picture. Old Miss beating LSU last week. That West is a jungle. Very difficult division. Looks to me like Alabama's got the upper hand, but they're going to have to take advantage. Uh, win on the road at AM. Meantime, Kirby Smart's telling his guys one play at a time, one moment at a time, one game at a time. Saturday night, Sanford Stadium under the lights. We're going to take a break right now. I'm going to recognize my sponsor, Ingles. Appreciate everything Ingles does for us with the show each Monday night. What they do for you every day at their supermarkets. We can count on Ingles when we come back from the break. John Clay of the Lexington Herald Leader joins the program. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. We're talking to John Clay, the Lexington Herald leader. And John, we really do appreciate you joining us today. About Devin Leary, the quarterback, what do we think about his game? There was so much hype about him coming from NC State. Uh, obviously, Kentucky's had great quarterbacks before. Will Levis, very special talent. How would you compare him to Levis, and what are some of his strengths and weaknesses? Uh, he's a different quarterback than Levis. He's more of a precision quarterback. He doesn't have quite as strong an arm as, as Will had, not as big physically as Will. Been a little disappointed so far, and he's, he's the first one to say that. He's, he's under 60% in his completion percentage. He threw a couple of interceptions at Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, he's got a new offensive coordinator in Liam Cohen. He's coming off an injury. He hadn't played since October when he got hurt at North Carolina State. Had a fairly complicated surgery on a torn pectoral muscle. He's got new receivers. So it really hasn't come all together for him yet. But they feel like, you know, the talent's there. Uh, they're really happy and pleased with him, with his leadership with the team and what he's done. He just hasn't put it all together yet. Yeah, it takes a lot to put it all together. Obviously, though, Kentucky off to a 5-0 and start. John, you have been a columnist for a long time, 2000, as we were talking about before. Uh, so I'm going to take you away from Kentucky. I'm going to get you out of the Bluegrass State. And I want to ask you a little bit about the SEC because uh, Billy Napier is a guy. There's been a lot of talk. Uh, Billy Napier has a $31 million buyout. And if you ask anybody at Florida that are drinking uh, the, the Gatorade, I guess we would say, uh, they're saying there's no way this guy gets fired. $31 million is too much. Um, they've got complete confidence in Billy Napier. Is there a way – that he could be fired this year, do you think? Well, I mean, it depends on the rest of the season, but obviously, you know, he's he, uh, losing twice to Kentucky doesn't help uh, as far as his confidence with Florida fans. Obviously, the win over Tennessee was a big win, but they've been not been very good at all on the road. I think they're one in seven away from Gainesville under Billy. It's going to. It looks like it's going to take him some time to get things together. Will Scott Strickland and the Florida people give him time? Uh, we'll see. I know Scott wants to give him time to build it, but sometimes, you know, it gets a situation where it kind of spirals out of control and you have no choice. I don't think they're to that point yet at Florida, uh, but it, it's been a while since we've seen, I don't know if I've ever seen where Florida and Kentucky played, and Kentucky was by far the more physical team and really beat Florida up. I mean, Billy said that after the game on Saturday. So we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but that was definitely a uh, had to be a wake-up call and very disappointing for Florida fans on Saturday. 
jump over to the West with me. And, you know, we're used to Alabama winning the West. And it looks like right now they're the best team in the West. Um, I thought LSU might be the biggest challenger. Maybe they still will. Alabama plays at Texas A&M. Old Miss lurking after the home win over LSU. Sort out the West from your perspective uh, for me. To me, Alabama looks like they've gotten back to the way Alabama used to be under Nick Saban, playing really good defense, running the ball. They kind of found their identity finally after that, uh, when they went down to South Florida after getting beat by Texas and came back and played well against Ole Miss. LSU is so interesting. I thought LSU would be really good, but their defense has been terrible. Matt House, former UK uh, defensive coordinators the, is their defensive coordinator. I even saw some stuff last week about that Matt House's name had come up for the Michigan State job up at Michigan State. Now you wonder if he's going to make it to the end of the season. Uh, I saw where they brought back Pete Jenkins, who's like a legendary coach at LSU as an analyst, legendary defensive line coach. So they definitely have got things straightened out. Texas A&M took that loss early to Miami, but I thought all along, no Bobby Petrino from his days at Louisville. Whatever you think of Bobby, he's a heck of an offensive coach. I thought all along he'd be a good hire for Jimbo Fisher. I think before it's all said and done, obviously a big game against Alabama on Saturday. But I thought all along, Texas A&M's got the talent, and I think Bobby's the type of coach to get the most out of that offense. They're, they're a dangerous team, in my opinion. Yeah, Bobby Petrino, Hugh Freeze, you know, say what you want. Like, yeah. like you said, John, but both of those guys – uh, clearly excellent football coaches. Now, you're a voter. Uh, you've been a voter many, many years, many times, uh, certainly a, a very well-respected journalist. What does your poll look like these days? Tell me about your your, your – give me your top five teams. <laughs> I'm still voting Georgia number one until somebody beats them. I think they own the throne. Uh, I've You know, the top five, I've gone back and forth. Obviously, Michigan, Florida State, Texas, Ohio State – you know, they're all in there in my top five. I got an eye on Washington. They are so good offensively, how they'll do the rest of the year. Uh, I think I voted Kentucky 21, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have it in front of me. I there 20. This was the first week that I put Kentucky in the poll. I also put Louisville in the poll at 25. Jeff Brom's got Louisville off to five. We got two teams here, Mike, in Kentucky that are off to five and oh starts. I thought Jeff would do a good job at Louisville, and he had. So it's funny, when Jeff got the Louisville job, we asked Mark, Mark Stoops, what do you think about that? And Mark said, I hate it. Yeah, I can understand why Kentucky keeps an eye on Louisville. As you said, Jeff Brom, a guy who's getting things done. It's kind of unique, um, these out-of-conference robberies. Georgia has the same issue with Georgia Tech. I'm not sure it's a good idea for those games to be played at the end of the year, John, is there much discussion on the timing of that game? And especially now that we're seeing the SEC go to an eight, uh, what happens if it goes to a nine game schedule? Do they keep Louisville on the schedule? Is there talk about moving when that game is played? Yeah, Kentucky used to play Louisville the first game of the year. And that, you know, got a lot of people talking about football during the summer. Uh, then they moved it, you know, to the end here recently. I mean, it's been a good game at the end of the year. I preferred it at the beginning of the year, but I can see why the coaches don't want to play it then. Uh, there's a lot of talk that if they do do go to nine games, Kentucky may drop Louisville. Mitch Barnard, the UK AD, is very much in favor of eight, keeping it eight games. He's kind of led the charge to keep it at eight games. If they keep it at eight, they'll continue to play Louisville. If it goes to nine, I wonder about the robbery, and I'd hate to see it go away. Very interesting. You mentioned uh, earlier that you had Georgia ranked number one. When you look at this Georgia team, and we've seen them up close for five games, how does it look from afar? When you, you know, because here in Athens, we're kind of like, you know, this isn't last year's group. This is a different looking Georgia. Yet you still have them number one. 
Tell me about the personality that you see from 10,000 feet. Well, I mean, obviously Kirby's done a great job in recruiting, and it seems to me they're kind of in a changing of the guard, you know, new quarterback with Carson Beck, some new uh, personnel on both defense and offense. They still got Brock Bowers, Mark Stoops, and they went on and on about Brock Bowers. He said he was at Arizona when Gronk was at Arizona, and uh, you know, he doesn't like to compare the two, but they're both those types of players. Uh, I still think Georgia's good. I mean, I think they are a little, seem to be a little more vulnerable than they've been in the past couple of years, but that doesn't mean that they're going to lose. Uh, and I still think, you know, when tested, they've shown against South Carolina and Auburn, they were able to come back and win. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out. I, I still think Georgia is Georgia, even though they have not looked as impressive as they have the past couple of years. Yeah, certainly not yet, uh, John. Uh, you're always impressive. Always appreciate the time that you uh, you give me uh, back in the days uh, when I got to edit some of your copy, The Cleanest Writer, uh, on the staff. I, I worked really hard to find typos and mistakes and couldn't find any, and I don't think you misspoke once this entire interview, so I uh, appreciate the verbiage there, both spoken and uh, written. John Clay from the Lexington Herald-Leader. That's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank John uh, for joining us. I want to thank our producer, Michael Carvel. Uh, don't forget, every day at 10 a.m., it's Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams, and uh, of course, Jeff Centel before the hedge is on Wednesday night, and counter and coverage on Sundays. Uh, Kaylee Manziel now uh, with our happy hour show on Thursday nights from Marlowe's and our tailgater show from Jimmy J Jittery Joe's on Saturdays before the game. Have a great week, everybody.